Friday Books with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. So, Wayne, because you did not get in on the Kickstarter for The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, I do not expect you to share my rage. Paul, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. However, (laughs) a friend... Someone who shares as much time together as as we do, I think, might have I don't know hug the guy for us. Um, I'm not I'm not condoning that kind of behavior. Uh, I'm just saying that you know maybe that's what friends do. Um, so just saying. So, last week you met John Schnepp. Shep. Yep. Schwepp. What's his last name? I think it's Shep. Shep. Who was the the producer, director of uh, of uh, the death of Superman Lives? What happened? And you know, Paul and I have shared our outrage and, and the manner in which that Kickstarter was managed. And we won't rehash all that here because Paul and I have just completed our therapy. But 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 Wayne, tell us about your experience last week at the big Superman event in Metropolis, Cleveland, Ohio. Where is that? Illinois. I was close. <laughs> yeah, so they had a a couple showings of the death of Superman lives. So I went to one of them on Saturday night at 11 p.m. and Shep was there along with I have no idea what her name was, but the other person that made the movie with him, who was actually kind of hot. <laughs> Okay. They did a Q&A afterwards and uh, asked quite a few questions. Got a chance to go up and talk to them after, you know, after the Q&A and took a couple selfies with each of them so I could send them to both of you and see what your reactions were. I saw the selfie with uh with with Shep. I did not see the one with with the woman you're referring to. I will have to tweet that out to you then. Okay. Because in his mind, he took a selfie. It's in the spank <laughs> bank. It's in the bank, Aaron. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I enjoyed the movie. I was surprised by how much I did enjoy it. I saw the things that you guys complained about, mm-hmm. like how many times his name has to appear in the opening credits uh-huh. and how he's in every scene with just kind of nodding his head and, you know, I saw all of that, but I still enjoyed it. No, you know, I, I think it's actually a, a well-made documentary that just needed a little heavier editing. Uh, but I, I think I think it is a story well told, and I think it's an interesting story. Uh, and really, largely, my, my complaints about it are just how he managed the Kickstarter. So, I, is your uh, is your Blu-ray copy signed? I did not get the Blu-ray option. I got the digital download option. Oh, I got the Blu-ray, and I believe it's signed, yeah. Because my Blu-ray is signed, because I bought it while I was there. And uh, it's got a second disc of eight extra hours worth of footage. Oh, wow. Interview footage that they cut out. That's a lot of extra John Schnapp. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched any of the footage yet, but I've got eight hours of extra footage to watch. Tell me how it was in the room. You know, do, do, do you felt that was time well spent? Yeah, he was he was actually kind of interesting to talk to because you had a chance to ask him uh, pretty much anything. And uh, they were excited that it was a late night showing so they didn't have to worry about cussing. They could just cuss all they wanted. 
which made it more fun. Mm-hmm. I ask him, uh, you know, so you've got the the story of the producer and the story of Kevin Smith that are, you know, contradict each other. So I was asking him which one he thought was the true story. And he's like, yeah, I think pretty much Kevin Smith was the true version, while the other version has changed over time. Going back to my original comments, you know, I would never, never want you to cuddle somebody on my behalf. But you, maybe you could have, like, felate on his foot, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and just said, that's for the Kickstarter management, you prick. You know, something like that. So you're saying selfie and giving him money probably wasn't the... Exactly. It's kind of the, the wrong direction to go. But if you could have, like, you know, uh, kissed on the arch of his foot and said, ideologyofmadness.com sends its regards. <laughs> We're not asking for too much. <laughs> I do have to say the only reason I took the selfie was to send to you guys and see what kind of reaction I would get. Oh, no. No, I knew that that, that was the dick move I could expect from Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> we call that the Wayne maneuver. <laughs> yep. <laughs> No, that that was that was classy. <laughs> Here I am with your arch enemy, Aaron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's going to send you a picture with um, Ethan Van Skyver. Oh, you jackass! <laughs> I think I met him at a con once. Yeah. See? Yeah, yeah. Notice how Wayne gravitates to the pricks. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year at uh, you know this year in Metropolis, I met John Bogdanov. Oh yeah, how yeah, that? T- tell us about that. Did you get a sketch? No, I didn't, uh, but because his sketches were the most expensive in the room by far, I which is fair. Yeah. How much were but his sketches running? The cheapest was $100. That's not too bad. It's hey, well, not how too bad for it? us, but in general, I mean... The cheapest was a small just headshot. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, how much did I... I'm trying to remember what I paid for my uh, my uh, Cully. Of, I think that was 60 bucks or 80 bucks. I think it was 70 I think it's right there in the middle. I think it was about $70. And that's beautiful. That's one of my favorite pieces. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I got a Cully Hamner uh, of uh, Green Arrow enjoying a cigar, and uh, you know that when you get such an established artist that's drawing it at uh, such a great rate, you have to jump jump on that. Yeah, he was actually really interesting. He was telling a lot of stories about the uh, the era right after the death of Superman, up through when they did the electric powers and the splitting them in two. And he was just talking about how, you know, what what was actually their stories versus what was dictated from above. Right. Which was kind of interesting and in how they had gotten in. They, you know, they had gotten into the kind of the habit of the big event with Superman. They're like, well, the death brought in a lot of money, so let's try giving him electric powers. <laughs> let's turn him into two things. Superman blue versus Superman red. Yeah. And he talked a little bit about uh, working with Dan Jurgens and. Just some of uh, just that period, which was it was all fascinating to me just to listen to his stories. I think that if I uh, if I had an opportunity to get a sketch from him, I'd have him give me a steal because he did the he did the steel books in the, yeah. in the reign of the Superman smoking a cigar. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd have him draw me um, mullet Superman. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be great, too. In the black suit. Yep. Yeah. He talked a little bit about the you know the long hair. He didn't call it a mullet, of course. <laughs> mullet Superman. I love it. It's the best yeah. Superman. It's the only Superman. It's the current <laughs> Superman, which we'll talk that, about a little bit. That's right. That's right. I say I'm going to a local comic convention today, 
and I'll probably meet uh, George Perez again. I've met him a few times, though. I like George. You'll have to tell me how he's looking at you. Know, he has been struggling with his health of late. Yeah. Do not curb stomp George Perez. Yeah, George Perez. <laughs> national treasure, George Perez. We'd be sweet to George. Yeah. Don't don't slice him up ghetto style. Yeah. Just but you know, <laughs> I th- I think you could probably get a really good deal on a sketch. Just have him draw the entire Avengers lineup fighting the entire Justice League lineup. I think that's probably a fifty dollars sketch. Yeah. <laughs> I actually uh, I have that book signed by him from the first time I met him. I say, you know, I, I wish we still got books like that, you know, where you know, Marvel versus DC. I mean, you know, we, we you know, there was a day and age where you could have Spider-Man versus Superman and Superman versus the Hulk. Um, and, you know, th- then we had, you know, Teen Titans versus uh, the X-Men. We, we had the Amalgam books, you know, where yeah. they combined the origins and, and powers of the Marvel and, and DC superheroes and. I just I wish s- that every now and again we could get something like that. I saw a Dark Claw sketch while I was there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Dark and it's Claw. like, wow, that that brings back memories. I had forgotten about a lot of the, the Malcolm the stuff. Ba- the Batman Wolverine amalgam. Some of those amalgam yep. books were really good. Some of them were, yeah. were trash, but some of those books were really good. <laughs> yeah, Dark you know, Claw was one of the good ones. Yeah. If um, if they were to, you know, the both companies are so big on reboots and getting more readers in and and events and USA Today articles and things like that. And if they just did a crossover between the companies, uh-huh. I mean, that would sell more copies than anything that's been published in the last 15 years. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it'd be it'd be huge, Paul. Huge. 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 Well, you know what else is supposed is apparently going to be huge? What's that, Paul? This PlayStation VR thing. Uh Oh, so I had no intention of buying this damn thing. Like, I have no interest in, in VR helmets. And, you know, it, the, the concept still, to me, feels a little um, funky, right? In that I Now, is, is this a, a, an accessory to, to a PS4? Correct. And I know you've got an Xbox One. Do you have a PS4 as well? I do. Okay. And so, you know, the, the PlayStation v, uh, VR helmet, they, they showcased... It at last weekend's E3 Expo, or maybe it was earlier this week. But you know, so I when I play games, I play for you know an hour or two if I get a chance to play that long. Uh, I just can't imagine sitting with a, a VR helmet for that length of time. So I had no intention of buying one. And then they re- you know they released all these games, um, game videos last weekend at E3, including a Star Wars mission where you're sitting in an X-Wing. And, you know, if you've ever been had a VR helmet on, you kind of look around and you can see everything. But they ha- they announced a new Batman VR game where you play as Batman in the VR helmet, done by Rocksteady, the people who did the Arkham series. And I'm like, damn it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I- I'm assuming that it would be the the graphics quality of the Arkham games, which are pretty outstanding. Yes, but with, you know, it through the eyes of Batman, essentially. Yeah, that sounds pretty wild. Yeah, I got all excited about it. So, Paul, we do have one of your Superman VR coasters here in Texas. Do you really? Down at uh, Six Flags in San Antonio. I saw the billboard for it when I was uh, driving uh, down in Central Texas earlier this week. And I was like, huh, I'm going to be in San Antonio next week. Huh. 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 Yeah, I still haven't even done the Justice League ride at Six Flags because I haven't been out to Six Flags since they opened it. Um, I, I'm 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 highly curious about the the uh, roller coaster VR experience. 
It's it is so crazy. Yeah, you got it. I mean, even if you're not a roller coaster person, it feels like something you should try once. Because uh, so, I know you're not a roller coaster person, Aaron. But yeah, my only concern is that it's like 130 degrees outside. Um, okay. You know, you know t- temperature, humidity index like 500. Uh, <laughs> I don't. What? I don't know that want to be at the park at, that hot. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm down in San Antonio pretty fairly frequently these days, so I'll get to it. What is this VR coaster thing? Because I haven't heard of it. Oh, you weren't on last week, were you? No. So. I was hanging out with Shep. No, he was betraying us, Paul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't you remember? He couldn't be here because he was betraying us. <laughs> <laughs> I um, So last week, I, I went to the opening of the Superman Ride of Steel virtual reality roller coaster in D.C. Um, and you can hear the story a little bit last week or check out the YouTube channel. I have a video, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But basically, it's a real roller coaster. It was a pre-existing roller coaster, except now they have added VR helmets to the experience. So they strap on your VR helmet while you're on the actual roller coaster. And you watch a VR experience of Superman and Lex Luthor fighting through the city um, as you're riding a real roller coaster. So... Um, you know, the, the story is that you're in a cable car and Lex Luthor knocks it off of the tracks. So on that first hill, you know, of a roller coaster where you're, you know, going down it in, in the VR helmet, your cable car is tumbling towards the street and then Superman carries you up. So that's when you're being lifted back up a hill and then they start fighting. And so, you know, your cable car is being tossed all around the city. Um, it, it's it's really cool. Wayne. And, and as a Superman fan, you really would be cool. all about it. Yeah, it does sound really cool. So this Batman, so uh, you know, as soon as they announced this Batman VR thing, I was like, God damn it! <laughs> but you know what? The PlayStation VR, the pre-orders are already all sold out everywhere. Really? I'm like, really? Like, when does it due out? October, I believe. Mm. So I mean, I, w- I guess I won't be an early adopter, which is probably fine because I, to be fair, I'm, I, I still have games and shrink wrap that I bought for Christmas or that I got for Christmas last two years ago. So. But this, I, I, I'm curious to see how this VR technology takes off. You know, is it going to be like 3D TVs where they were all the rage for a little while and now no one really talks about them? Or is VR going to really be the next experience in video gaming after the current gen systems? Well, it, you know, that entirely depends, depends how much porn they release for it. <laughs> well, and I do think that it huh. depends on the execution and you know, having somebody like having an organization like Rocksteady uh, doing that. Rocksteady, is that right? Yeah, Rocksteady. Uh, uh, no, um, I, I feel like it's not Rocksteady, but <laughs> not, not it didn't Rockstar. sound right when it came out of my no, mouth. No, it's not Rockstar. It's uh, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, it is Rocksteady. It is Rocksteady. Okay. So you know, I think that they're putting their best foot forward, and I think they just got to stick the landing because I, I think that they have a strong entry into this field. Uh, lots of other folks will get into it as well, and I, I think that's a that's a great step because those those Arkham games have been huge. 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 Well, I'm very much looking forward to, to hearing about it and the Star Wars one. And they announced a number of games, but including a new Resident Evil game that's uh, VR-based. But, you know, when they said Batman and they said, where are the cowl? I'm like, ah, you're killing yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and but the it's optional pl- plug-in to bang Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. To Wayne's point, that'll sell exactly. minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago in regards to video gaming. And so we talked about how when was the last time Marvel had a 
in a popular video game. Right. Well, at E3, uh, Insomniac, uh, the company behind the last couple of Spider-Man games, really, I think, um, announced a new Spider-Man PS4 game. Uh, that that other than having a pretty terrible looking Spider-Man costume <laughs> seems pretty awesome. I mean, the graphics are amazing. It looks like they've learned from what works from previous Spider-Man games and what hasn't. So uh, if you get a chance, check it out because it, it looks pretty sweet. What's wrong with the costume? So his spider is like giant. It's like the it's the regular Spider-Man costume, but you take the Venom spider and put it on it. So it's still red and blue. But you've got this giant white spider on his chest, and it just Ugh. looks oh, yeah. kind of funky. Yeah. Why would they do that? Yeah, that sounds that sounds silly. Have they said what the story of the game is yet? Not that I can tell, and I didn't get really much of a story sense from the the trailer. I think it's still it's, early. It's interesting when you look at the Marvel games about what has and hasn't worked. Spider Man is the only character that seems to be able to, you know, hold a game series for Marvel. Uh, they've done some good things with like uh, Ultimate Alliance was really good, mm-hmm. and you know I I struggle to give them credit for the Lego games because that's yeah. the team making well, the Lego or, or games, not them. I mean, it seems to work when they do. You either do Spider Man or everybody, right? <laughs> but like you know, I've not they've not had success really. I mean, the Hulk game supposedly was good, and, but Ooh, in general, uh, you know, I like that that uh, PS2 Hulk game. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Because you can just jump around town and just knock shit down. Yeah, I, I mean, guess, that's what I think what the, the draw of it was. Yeah, I guess in fairness, DC hasn't been able to hold a series outside of Batman. So well, maybe both companies just have one character that is better than the others for video games. Well, I would say that Spider-Man is Marvel's Batman in that, you know, it, it, the most popular character, you know, people identify with him, that kind of thing. But uh, I think... DC has done a much better job on banking on their Batman property than Marvel has on their Spider-Man property in video gaming. And, you know, yeah. when you when you look at the you know the vast stacks of, of Batman games yeah. that are out there that and that have been successful, um, I think the the last true success and we've talked about this last week, Wayne, what was Ultimate Alliance for Marvel, and that was huge. I mean. Yeah. I, I remember them announcing it at uh, a Wizard World convention I was at. I mean, people were so excited when they saw the demos and, you know, being able to throw Cap Shield and all of that and and the Galactus wandering around in the background. I'm frustrated Uh, they haven't had a part three to that because I like that series a lot. And that grew on the X-Men one that was good before that, too. And that would be that would be a game that would make me buy a next gen system. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I I don't have an an Xbox One or a PS4 because I've not really felt a need to, to buy one yet because I'm I'm not that big of a gamer. But as we were saying last week, with Injustice Two coming out, damn it, uh, I'll <laughs> probably uh, be buying an Xbox One. I gotta be honest, that Injustice Two, they Aaron, did you see the gameplay trailer? I did with Supergirl and Grodd. Uh huh. Yeah. Hell, bastards. Yes. It looks Bastards. so good. It looks so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't have a warm fuzzy yet about the the story that wraps around it, but the the graphics and the characters that they're bringing in look pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I'm still not getting much of a story sense, but you know, if they bring in the same creative team that worked on the first one, I think we'll be fine. Well, and you know, doesn't Jeff Johns have his hands in all this stuff now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's you his know? his thing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> fingers crossed. So, in since we're talking about Spider-Man, Marvel announced yesterday, well, by the time you're listening to this, a couple of days ago, 
that there is a new Spider-Man event coming out that that they've been building to, and uh, you know they, they've been hinting at this Dead No More thing, um, but they have now changed the name to the Clone Conspiracy. <laughs> um, so the, the Clone Conspiracy will be a standalone five-issue miniseries written by Dan Slott and illustrated by Jim Chung. God damn it! Um, <laughs> with the first issue hitting stands in October. Um, Scott Slot will be walking up to it with Amazing Spider-Man issues 16 through 18, um, and he will write concurrent stories with that event, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 19 through 23. So it's it's the next big Spider-Man event. Um, the Clone Conspiracy will feature the return of the Jackal, and uh, it appears instead of him always cloning Spider-Man and Gwen, he's going to basically be cloning everyone who's died in Spider-Man's world. So you'll see like characters long dead now cloned by the Jackal. Like Craven the Hunter, perhaps. Craven's I thought Craven alive was already back though. Yeah, oh, Craven's he? alive. Yeah, huh. he's alive yeah. and basically can't be killed unless Kane kills him. Huh. But they're wow. talking about like Uncle Ben, Gwen again, and characters like that. But I have no intention of buying this because I don't like what Slot's done with Spider-Man at this point. I will. I will likely pick up the first issue because I'm a sucker for anything Jim Chung draws. <laughs> I mean, I straight up am that guy. You put that guy in a book, and I'm like, yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah. Like it Olivia is really Kogiel and and those kinds of guys. It is really sad knowing me that they're putting out a book that is a clone book, and I don't plan on picking it up because I am a sucker for clones. But I just don't like what Slot's done with the character. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm. They're gonna have a hard time luring me back to Marvel right now. So we'll see. We'll see what the lead up looks like. Yeah. Well, especially with, well, and we're going to talk about some, I mean, we are very DC heavy this week, and we have been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but DC is doing some really good things right now. Well, and one good thing that was announced this week is that they've cast Superman for Supergirl Season 2, and the actor that they've cast, his name is Tyler Hoechlin. Um, he is, a, or at least was, I don't know if he still is, a regular on the TV show uh, Teen Wolf. He was in the movie Road to Perdition. I think he was actually the kid in Road to Perdition, um, and he was in Seventh Heaven, uh, but his main role right now has been Teen Wolf for the last number of years, and I gotta say, he looks the role. He, he I, looks like Superman to me. I thought the same thing. I've never seen him in anything, but I saw the pictures, and I thought, you know, he'll make a pretty good Superman, and he's going to be in at least, it's a uh, at least a story arc, which will be two to three episodes. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, uh, Supergirl's moving over to the CW. Um, you know, CBS didn't want to continue paying the the big bill for those shows and and not getting the the youthful audience that they had hoped for in the numbers that they had hoped for. Yeah. Um, you know, because CBS is your grandpa's network. Um, <laughs> so the word on the street is that the Flash season finale is what brings Supergirl into the CW universe. Ah, the, the Arrow okay. and Flash universe. Um, and I can see that. I, I know that uh, that uh, the two of y'all haven't watched the I have, but Wayne has not, so I don't uh, want to spoil it. Yeah. Um, but yes, so, I, could, I could definitely see some, what happened there. Yeah, so, and that that, that you know, ties those worlds together. So, uh, I you know, I I'm actually thrilled that Supergirl is leaving CBS. Uh, I think it's it, it fits much better over on the CW. But when in the world are they going to rename the CW and just call it the DC Channel? Because, oh my God. Yeah, now they, now they have four shows. 
Yeah, four shows. Uh, See, and I, let's go ahead. I, man, five, I like five, the idea. Zombie. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I Zombie is really good, but it doesn't tie into the others. But I don't know how I feel about. Like, I love the idea that CW is getting it, but that they're putting them in the same world, mostly because that introduces a lot of Supergirl elements into the Arrow and Flash world that haven't really fit. Is I don't it know. That's, that's going to change quite a few things there because now there's a Superman. Yeah, I, I, it'll be curious to see how they tie all that stuff together, but I have faith that these guys can do that. And you know, one of the nice things about you know both of those shows, Arrow and The Flash, is that they're not afraid to just change up the status quo. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that shakes out, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a great season to watch. Now I got to tell you, the, the one show that I am just struggling to get through is DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, I haven't Ooh. finished it either. I got to tell you, that's, I, I think I've got like five, four, five or four episodes left, and uh, boy, that that's a rough show to watch. <laughs> you know, yeah, I it, um I did not get past episode one, and I feel like I should, but I just haven't. Well, I just feel like you know they they tie so much of it together that you, you're missing Easter eggs if uh, if you're not watching. You know, something that that happened in Flash will affect you know DC's Legends of Tomorrow and you know vice versa. But I'm just, whew, it's a rough show. Yeah, and honestly, if they didn't have the actors and actresses they had, the show would be even more difficult uh-huh. because basically Snart and uh, Sarah really make that show. If they didn't have them, there'd be pretty much nothing interesting to watch on it. Well, like, I'm on the episode now where they meet Jonah Hex. I am not quite to that one yet. I'm looking forward to it, though. And I won't ruin anything for you, but other than to say, what a huge missed opportunity. Because Jonah Hex is just, he's just an extra. Anybody could be saying those lines. Anybody could be (sighs) filling that space in the story. That you know, is a like, huge disappointment. It is. It is. And I like the actor, and I like the makeup, and I, you know, I think they styled him right. But, well, man, what, just, just a big missed opportunity. What frustrates me is they, you know, basically they set this up as a time travel show, and then they spend so much time in just a couple of eras. Right. It's like they well, could be bouncing around more. They could be showing us a lot more characters, doing a lot more with it than... Let's basically hang out in the 70s, 80s, 60s. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that some of that's budget constraints. Yeah. But I think also, I think a big piece of it is that they don't have writers who can write time travel stories. Um, Because, I mean, none of the time travel makes any kind of sense. Um, You know, why you don't just, okay, well... Um, I was able to go here. That didn't work out. Let's go before it. I mean, you don't lose your element of surprise. If you lost your element of surprise in the 80s, so you go back into the 70s. And you just keep yeah. going back further until you can you can you know affect your plan. But it, it also is challenged by the fact that the, the guy at the center of the story, Rip Hunter, is not very smart. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he does stupid things. He... He is constantly making the wrong decision. And it's not that he's being true to his character. It's bad writing. They're not justifying the bad decisions that he's making. Yeah, why don't you just go back to when Vandal Savage got his powers and stop him from getting his powers? Yeah. Except that they do they do, they do do lay down that it's hard to find Vandal Savage. 
you know, it's we don't know where he was at any given time. But I'm like, but you know where he was at certain times. Exactly. The, you know where he enough. was when he got his powers because you've got the two people that were there with him. Right. Yeah, it's you like, do have moments in time where you know exactly where he is. Yeah, when he's killing a hawk person. Yeah. Yeah. No. That there there is a level of of stupidity about the show uh, that the charisma of some of the actors almost can't overcome. But the fact that I just love Brandon Routh uh, in that role and the actress who plays uh, White Canary. Um, yep brings me through uh, you know it, it keeps me coming back and i just keep being hopeful that it's going to get better yeah, yeah I'm, that, I'm, I'm very hopeful that it ends strong and that it comes back for for a better season two because uh, crazily enough it did get renewed for a season two and, well and I'm they're changing the cast as far as i know right i mean it, some of the, as far as i know they're going to bring in different people they're saying they may bring in constantine so so I don't know. Constantine would be a great addition to that show. Yes, and, and I make it make it kind of a, a Justice League dark. <laughs> you know, that would be fun. Yeah, ooh, that would be pretty sweet. Justice League Dark, the TV series. Uh huh. I'd watch the shit out of that. You know, you would. <laughs> Unless it's bad, like Legends of Tomorrow. Well, then, I'm not then I would spoil watch it. the shit out of the first episode. <laughs> Since we've kind of touched on a little supernatural thing there, uh, Paul, I am three episodes into Outcast on Cinemax, which is oh. the Robert Kirkman uh, show. It is creepy as fuck. Absolutely up your alley. Absolutely up your alley. There are th- okay, I will watch it today. I didn't realize okay. there was already three episodes. I thought yeah. we were only two out. Yeah, I, I watched the third one last night, and, and it is just so creepy. So, and the first, I gotta say, the first episode's creepier than the other two, uh, but they really do lay down, you know, the the element of of uh, how terrible this is going to be. And along the lines of creepy, have you seen the movie The Visit? Yes. The M Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, did you see it? Yeah. <laughs> so, if I had if I had seen that when I was a kid, you never would have gotten me over to my grandparents' house. <laughs> We're gonna go see Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah, Grandma and Grandpa. Fuck you. I'm not going over there. <laughs> did I see what, Paul? Did, did you want to throw up at the end? Oh, I. You, you know, know exactly what I'm referring to. Yes, I do. Yeah. The, the it, it was a it was a terrible terrible scene. In <laughs> fact, in that scene, I, I and I won't spoil anything because it's one of those moments in an M Night Shyamalan movie that that while it's not you know hey he's dead at the end of Sixth Sense it's a it's a pretty big moment in the movie. But those of you who've seen it will know what I'm talking about. I expected the character to just lose it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, Wayne, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's it is probably M Night's best film since Signs. Yeah, is really his only good film since Signs. But I was gonna say that's not a big bar. No, it's it's it's, it is a creepy film. It's not great, but it's good. Well, and what was surprising for me about it is that they really pulled off the creepy, and it was a PG thirteen film. Yeah. You know, and they they didn't have to they didn't do a bunch of camera scare stuff like you're startled like they do in other PG thirteen horror films, uh, but it is it is certainly suspenseful. And you do it's one of those M Night Shyamalan movies where you're asking yourself the whole time, what the fuck is going on? You know, uh, and it, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. I, I uh, the wife and I watched it, and uh, it, we we were both highly entertained, highly entertained. <laughs> well, so. Uh- so I, I feel like 
we don't we're done we don't want to talk about comics fuck comics yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's random discussions with Aaron and Polly I like it <laughs> except that I, I kind of do want to talk about this week's comics because I gotta say other than one well no I, this was a really good week for comics yes uh, as as they have been since Rebirth number one and I gotta I mean, say this the, the first book we're gonna talk about I loved the hell out of this book <laughs> I loved the well, yeah. hell out of this book what wasn't to love, Paul? So we're going to talk about Superman number one, and we are going to gush praise. Well, I'm going to gush praise all over this book because everything about this book was wonderful. So uh, let me start the conversation by saying this, that for a long time now, uh, I have been unimpressed with comic book covers. You know, we, we have a category in our annual award show where we talk about best cover. And in 2015, I really struggled to have a, uh, a, a a selection of covers that I thought warranted, you know, uh, acclaim. The covers that we have gotten in Rebirth have all been amazing. Uh, and in particular, this cover for Superman number one uh, is just a terrific cover. You know, you, you, it's, you've got a, a heroic, iconic Superman. You've got Lois and, and, and their son, John. You've got the, the threats behind them. Uh, it's just this terrific cover that, that's not just pretty, but also tells you a little bit about the stories that are going to be coming up. And I, just, I thought that the, the, the cover was really well executed. I thought everything about this book was well executed. Yes, um, I, I would. And, and as much as I love the cover, the the first there are I think th- two or three two page spreads in this book. Yes, yeah. Um, by Patrick Gleason. Yep. That are I mean, super. It's I'm 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 like stumbling over my words here because there's a two page spread and it's literally just Superman opening his shirt with the, uh-huh. the symbol, and it is such an iconic two page spread. It's just perfect. And then you have, um, like, Superman flying in the sky with kind of echoes of the past behind him. Mm-hmm. And then another two-page spread of him saving horses from Burning Barn. I, I will make a small complaint about that the spread that you're talking about. It's the title page where Superman's yes. flying and there's images behind him. Is that the Comixology guided view on that is really not appropriate to the book. Oh, really? It just gives you the full page. It doesn't scan amongst all of those images. It should have zoomed in, you know. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to change it. Cause I don't know about you guys, but when I opened the book, it gave me a message about we have an HD version of the book. Do you want to upgrade? Hmm. No, I didn't get that. I think I, I'm, I mean, I didn't buy my comics until Thursday, so maybe I automatically downloaded the HD version. Probably, probably. That could but be. you know what I found interesting on that page, Paul. You know, because it shows, you know, glimpses of, of, of his life uh, in the pre-52 world, the pre-Flashpoint world. And notice the rocket that he's launched to Earth in. Yes. Um, that is a traditional, you know, Superman rocket from, you know, way back in the day from prior to John Byrne's origin. Um, which I thought was rather interesting that that is not the Matrix rocket that he was launched in mm-hmm. uh, in the in the John Byrne Man of Steel reboot. Well, and um, the Jor-El uh, Lara uh, are but, are very classic. They're not at all you know the the uh, figures that we've known uh, since you know John Byrne. Well, to be they, fair, I didn't they had retconned. A, oh, so sorry, they retconned a lot of the John Byrne origin 
through like after Infinite Crisis and yeah, some of those. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, when when they did, uh, you know, when Mark Wade did his thing on the book and others, uh, you know, prior to Flashpoint, they had changed a lot of that, but they hadn't gone back to the original Rocket from Krypton. And that is very much styled like that original rocket. So I I, I, I thought that was really interesting in the way they they uh, did that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I so this book, there's not a single punch thrown in this book. There's not a single <laughs> fight sequence. It, it's it's Superman and his family on the farm. Yep. And I couldn't have imagined a better first issue, at least for me. There um, was a hard seed though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, um, they worked – even though Grant Morrison created Damian Wayne, Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason are really the guys who brought Damian Wayne's voice and made him the character that Aaron and I have, have loved these last couple right. of years. Right. Um, you know, turned him into – from a Grant Morrison creation to a genuine – one of my favorite Robins, if not my favorite. And so a part of that is the fact that they bring so much heart to their story and their art. That you know, you the the Bruce Wayne Damian Wayne interactions that you got were unlike anything that we got in any other book. Um, and I, I don't know enough about either creator to know if they're both fathers. I'm sure you know. It, it, Patrick Leeson seems like he has to be, mm-hmm. uh, or Pete Tomasi seems like he has to be a father because um, the 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 human interaction of this book is, is perfect. You're right. Um, but to to Wayne's point, yes, uh, much like Damian Wayne screwed up. As a child, and you know, he he was imperfect in his uh, in his judgment. We we have a little bit of a mistake here from uh, from John John Kent. Yeah, and you know, it's not his judgment that's wrong. It's his his experience level isn't up to the power that he has. Yeah, and so he you know he over you know he over applied his powers to a situation. You know, and and I guess we can spoil this. Yeah, but he he and his cat are out romping in the. Uh, in the fields, and a uh, bird of prey, a, a hawk, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, swoops out of the sky, nabs up his cat, and flies up into the air. So, you know, John is like, no, no, you know, and trying to get his cat back. Um, and just in a fit of emotional outburst, you know, screaming, let her go, he lets fly with his uh, explosive heat vision. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> get the impression that might be the first time he's used his heat vision. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I think it's the first time I've seen it. And, of course, incinerates not just the hawk, but also the cat. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, he's devastated by this and, you know, doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to deal with it. And a, a, as he is, you know, looking at the you know cindered remains of his of his pet, he notices that the girl from the property next door has seen the whole thing. Well, and what they do so well with this is they keep bringing the cat back up throughout it. Yeah. Because anyone seen the cat? Yeah. And it's just like twisting the knife on him. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's gonna, it, it'll be that thing that that you know, it'll be his 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 secret, you know, that he won't be able to share. Because I mean, how do you share that, right? You know, I accidentally killed the family cat, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it'll be his burden. It'll be his burden without Uncle Ben having to die, right? Um, I I thought this was an an exquisitely ex- executed book. I love that uh, Lois and Clark 
are such parents in this book. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, one of the things that that I, I hate in a lot of our entertainment is that you know when our our characters have children, oftentimes they're an afterthought, and and thus we get terrible parents in our media. You know, I always come back to the only decent parent in the entire Star Trek universe has been Cisco. Because, you know, the minute Worf realizes he has, a, he has a son, he sends him off to live somewhere else, despite the fact that children live on the Enterprise. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Captain Kirk has a son, never sees him until he's, you know, fighting him in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, you know, I, I stayed out of his life just like you asked, Carol. Um we see that in the books as well, you know, and, and you know, we, we do finally get to see Batman be a father to Damien. And, you know, there, there, are, the, there are some fantastic father-son moments in those uh, Damien books. And now we're getting to see that with Superman. So it's going to be nice to be able to compare and contrast the parenting between uh, Batman and Superman. And I'm excited about this story because we've never really gotten it in yep. a Superman and story. We finally got to see the scene that I've been waiting for. Basically, since we found out that uh, this Superman is in the new 52, and that is Batman and Wonder Woman show up at his house. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was great. And, you know, the, the story ends with, uh, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman showing up at, at Superman's house. And there's, you know, a lot of hushed conversation, and John can only hear snippets of it. But then Superman shows up in his son's room, you know, not dressed as his father, but dressed as Superman. And with these very cryptic words, quickly and quietly, you're coming with me. I mean, that's kind of (laughs) scary. You know, that is and and it is drawn for effect. I mean, you know, he's backlit in the hallway, just like your dad would do. Stand in the doorway. Don't make me come in there. You know, (laughs) yeah, Uh, I'm I'm afraid that uh, little Jonathan's going to get the belt. So, so anyway, I, I think this book's a win. I, yeah. I think this book's a win. Um, I, 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 I truly do dig this book. Great, great start. And uh, I gotta say, the next book, Green Lanterns number one. Mm-hmm. I really liked this book too. So, Paul, tell me what you liked about this book. So it's written by Sam Humphreys, um, with art by Robson Roca. And so we talked about the Green Lantern Rebirth book, or Green Lantern's Rebirth book, that featured Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz as the new Green Lanterns of Earth. And so what we get in this book is a very, like, it's basically Green Lantern CSI, (laughs) almost, in that they are, you know, they're they're almost like Earth cops, um, but with superpowers. And that's what I liked about it, honestly. I, I liked the... The the down to earth storytelling, you know, obviously there's a you know the the science fiction bend with Atrocitus and and the Red Lanterns and that kind of thing, but I liked that it was more grounded. I liked that you know we were investigating the the savage murder of this alien. Um, it, it's unlike another Green Lantern story that I've read, and after reading nothing but the universe is going to change type Green Lantern stories, something a little bit more grounded it's, it was welcome for me. And and I agree. I I like all the stuff that's happening on Earth with Simon Baz and uh, Jessica, whatever her name is. Um, Cruz. What? Thank you. What I don't care for is all the atrocitous stuff happening happening across the galaxy. And I, it bugs me that it's going to come to Earth. <laughs> you know, because what I what I do like is I, I like that they're they're policing Earth. Right, and 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 I, and I like that Simon Baz has some things to work out. Jessica Cruz has some things to work out. 
Um, what I, I don't really want to see is them fighting Atrocitus. That's not the story I'm interested in. I'm really kind of interested in them fighting villains that are outside of the light spectrum. So I, I, I so I'm still in it, and I enjoyed the book. I just, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I kind of had it up to here with with the red lanterns and the blue lanterns and the purple lanterns and the plaid lanterns and all of that. Uh, I just, I need the green lanterns to fight somebody else other than somebody else who's got a ring. Yeah, I mean it. It, this goes back to the same type of storytelling that we saw before, where every Lantern Corps has to be in every book. But I don't know. There was enough here that that I'm, I'm going to give it a second issue. I liked what I read. Yeah, no, I, I you know I liked the 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 Rebirth number one issue, and I liked this one as well. But uh, I just I have some concerns. So we'll see how it works out. Yeah. We'll see, Paul. We'll, we'll see. see. So um, to I read a, another book from uh, Dark Horse Comics this week. Weird Detective, written by Fred Van Lente. I gotta tell you, Paul, this book, the Fred Van Lente, and I'm gonna let you finish your comment there in just a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Fred Van Lente uh, Weird Detective book was in my basket <laughs> on Comicsology, and I looked at how much I was buying this week. I'm like, eh, I'll get it later. So tell me, Paul, tell me all about it. So Weird Detective. Um, I think it was three ninety nine, but it's a forty seven page first issue, um, and it's so good. And the reason I wanted to talk about it after Green Lanterns is that it is another very kind of, except that there's so much more to it. And I don't want to spoil the book. I just re- really want to give a teaser that, um, deeply rooted in Cthulhu lore, um, and, and and that type of thing, and it's just. It's like if you're watching like a seven type mystery, mm-hmm. but you throw in horrible Cthulhu, you know, Lovecraftian horrors, right. um, great characterization, tons of humor. I mean, this is a fantastic book. Um, and it's it's it, it does so much good with the Lovecraftian mythos. Um, I, I, I can't if, if you are interested in that kind of thing. Um, it's so much of an easier pill to swallow than uh, Neonomicon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a it, even if you're not familiar with Lovecraftian myths, um, it's just a good book, and I really recommend checking it out. Um, Weird Detective. Uh, I, again, I, I'm trying not to spoil it because there's. Yeah. I like I the, I knew nothing about it going in other than hey, look, I see Lovecraft here, and I'm you know Fred Van Linty I like so let me give it a shot. Yeah, I, I loves me some Fred Van Lente. Is this an ongoing series? Uh, I don't know, but this is definitely not. It's not a one shot. You know, there there is more to the story. So I will pick that up today. I will I will go back out and grab it. I you know I I really do enjoy his stuff, and I'm like that looks like that's going to be right up my my alley. So I will pick that up based on your review. All right. Ah, look at you selling books. I like it, Fred Van Lente. You owe me uh four, four cents. I'll I'll just take one percent. <laughs> <laughs> So, I can't sell anyone on uh, Titans Rebirth number one. Really? I, I really strongly dislike this book. Really? It's the first of the Rebirth books I didn't like. So, tell me more about that. Well, you know, I don't... There were elements that I liked. Um, I Honestly, I just I really get a kick out of seeing Wonder Girl. You know, the Donna Troy Wonder Girl. Um, do they call her Wonder Girl in this world? I believe so. Well, I don't what know. What do they I call don't... the What do they call the blonde girl? Uh, who was are uh, there two Wonder Girls? Blonde girl was 
uh, I don't remember her name. Yeah, I don't. I, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. Because I'm not. Okay. I'm not. I haven't really been following the Donna Troy. But you know, I don't care for. Uh, I, I there there is a missing dynamic uh, in this book. Um, they you know they, they keep trying to to make us feel that kinship that we feel that we felt with these heroes back when Marv Wolfman and George Perez were drawing the book in the eighties, uh, were you know doing the book in the eighties. And I just don't feel it. And I, 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 they're they're trying to push us to uh, this emotion that I just it, it's not grabbing me. And I think the artwork was great in the book. I think it's a well drawn book, but it's not grabbing me emotionally. Uh, there, even though there were these like you know vignettes of you know Wally sharing memories with us, you know his his first kind of meeting or, or outings with each of these different heroes or you know something special that happened with them, you know him getting uh, Donna Troy to play a prank with him, uh, you know and her not understanding pranks, <laughs> right? Um, hanging out in the Batcave and, and and taking the Batmobile out for a ride with Dick. Um, I really, I really wanted to enjoy this book because I, I love that that moment in time uh, with these characters from the Wolfman Perez run, but it just didn't have that that oomph for me. I, it just didn't make that connection, and I didn't think that there's enough here to warrant coming back to. Yeah, my thoughts on the book. I enjoyed the book as the next part of Wally's story, but there was nothing about it that made me want to continue reading titans i just wanted this i wanted this as the next step of the story that i read in rebirth number one but i don't really care about the titans as a team they don't i'm with you and it just doesn't feel like they're meshing right yeah and it's not so you know i I don't hold them responsible for not you know rekindling that nostalgia in me but i just don't think it were i don't think the chemistry works on the team at this point uh, you know, I, I I wonder how a new reader would respond because I certainly wasn't. Well, and I don't know that a new reader would respond, right? I mean, this is this yeah. book is entirely base. It's one sequence of basically everyone remembering Wally, right? Um, you know, but just one by one, and that that's all this book is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I liked the book. I didn't love the book. Um, I, it did not have the emotional resonance of of DC Rebirth number one. Um, or like we talked about Superman previously. Um, and I feel like they were trying to go for that, but it just didn't have that success uh, for me. Um, was there enough for me to pick up Titans number one? I might pick up Titans number one just to see what the actual story thread, uh, where the story thread goes from here. Right. Um, because I love these characters. I, I love Dick Grayson and Wally West and, and you know, the, the, all these, the Teen Titans that I grew up with. I just don't know. This book wasn't, you're right. It wasn't a solid sell, and uh, I didn't dislike it, but it's certainly the weakest of the Rebirth, one of the weakest of the Rebirth books that I've picked up. Well, I found I it interesting that, they added in a romance with this new Lilith character. I'm not familiar with Lilith. I, I don't it's know. It's because she's new. Oh, okay. Well, they Lilith created a was couple a char- of new characters for the, the Titans book. Lilith was a character back in the original Wolfman Perez run, um, and Wally had... Is it Wally? Somebody had a relationship with her at that time. But I gotta tell you, the way they drew her, I kept thinking it was that redhead from Gen 13. I did too. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, so Caitlin Fairchild is part of the team now. Thank you, Fairchild. 
I never read Gen 13, so I only know her. But I mean, that's she was drawn very muscular. She was drawn very, you know, uh, you know, you, you, she, she had like larger biceps than, yeah. than your your typical uh, uh, female care female superhero character has. I mean, her biceps are bigger than Donna Troy's. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I was like, oh, that must be that must be that Fairchild character from Gen 13. Uh, and then I was surprised that it wasn't. But I, you know, none of this, none of this meshed with me. And you know, maybe, maybe part of it that doesn't work for me is that the Titans that I know and love are from that Perez Wolfman run. But they're not really using those characters. They're using the characters from the original Teen Titans, right? Because if you're going back to the to the Perez Wolfman run, you also have to include uh, uh, Changeling, and you have to include Cyborg, and you have to include Raven, yeah. uh, and all of those folks are younger than these characters. Actually, Cyborg's not. Cyborg's actually older, I think. Uh, but you know, Cyborg's in the Justice League, and who, uh, Raven's in the Teen Titans, but she's a teenager, right? Uh, so I mean, you know, she's not part of the this group of characters. She doesn't share that past with them. So, you know, we're bringing back continuity, but we're not bringing back the '80s continuity. We're bringing back something prior to that. Yeah. Or a mishmash. I mean, uh, I, I think they're I think they're they're picking items off the buffet to build the plate they want. Yeah, I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. So anyway, I I'm not in for the next one. This is the first Rebirth book that I'm not picking up issue two on. Really? Okay. See, I, I, I had a better impression of this than I did of Wonder Woman. See, I, I, th- I thought that there was enough there. and I, I enjoyed enough of what Rekka was doing on the page to give Wonder Woman one more chance. Okay. okay. But but I, I sure didn't. Uh, and I, I will tell you that Titan's Hunt affected my perception of this book. I think had I not uh, been a couple of issues into Titan's Hunt and dropped it because I was so dissatisfied with that. I'd probably be willing to give this another chance, but Titan's Hunt didn't connect with me either, and this didn't connect with me. So I, you know, I'm, I'm learning my lesson. I don't need three issues to know that I don't want this book. So there you go. All right. But well, if Aaron, you're still in, hopefully you can convince me later on. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'll well, try Aaron, issue one. Did Justice League connect with you? Because I really thought about buying it until I saw it was three ninety nine instead of two ninety nine. Well, it's not a rebirth book. In fact, it is a story that happens prior to rebirth. Then I am it, glad I didn't get it. You know, it's a it's an interesting book. Um, it tells the story of. Uh, Batman taking Robin, not Damian Wayne Robin, but I believe Tim Drake Robin. Uh, I'm sorry, Dick. He took Dick Grayson to uh, the Justice League, and it's that first time at the Justice League, and and uh, uh, Robin trying to understand why he's there and, and whatnot, and uh, him contributing. and And it's actually a pretty solid book. It's actually a pretty pretty solid book. Um, and so yeah, it's it's a fill in. Yeah, and that's but why I didn't it, pick it up. It, it seemed like a fill-in because fifty was the wrap-up of Dark Side War. So right, but it does follow up. The story takes place like uh, six months after their conf- their first encounter with Dark Side, and you know reveals that they had damaged uh, the dimensional uh, veil, the, the the veil between dimensions, and so it was causing reality to splinter and let other things through. And so the Justice League had to respond to it, and you know, Robin actually contributes to that. And there are some there's some really nice dialogue between Robin and Cyborg and the others 
uh, and Robin finding his place. And there's this fantastic moment at the end of the book where uh, Robin's like, you know, so I'm going to be joining this team at some point, you know? And Batman says, you won't be joining this team at some point. You'll be leading this team. And, you know, so Robin's like, oh. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a nice moment. I you know this book did what what a good fill in does is it's a standalone issue. It tells a, a side of a story or reveals something about the characters that you hadn't seen before. And I thought this book stuck the landing. I thought it was well written. It was well drawn. Um, you got some genuine character moments out of it. I dug it. I thought this was, was a fantastic book. So before we talk about this next book. I want to mention there there were two other DC books that I picked up this week. And like I said, this week this was a good week for me. I loved yeah. Superman number 1. I enjoyed Green Lanterns and Weird Detective and Titans to a lesser extent. I loved Green Arrow number 1 and Scooby Apocalypse number 2. I thought um, I thought you were on Scooby Apocalypse. I I you know I I I was going to pick it up. I, I didn't see that it was out this week. It was really really good. Scooby Apocalypse number 2 is even better than the first. Well, I will pick it up when I when I go out there to get Weird Detective today. And I did read Green Arrow, Paul. Oh, did you? What'd you think? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Um, you know, it uh, for a while there, it felt like it was picking up some story threads from the TV series. Yes. And then, and then it went a different way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I think this is something we don't spoil because I, I think that the the end at the end, end of the book is is pretty significant. But I will say right up. Right here, right now, I loved the depiction of Black Canary in this book. Uh, that is something I have really been missing because I love the uh, classic representation of the relationship between Green Arrow and Black Canary, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see that coming back. Still very early stages in that relationship, but I hope they stick with it because that's a lot of fun for me. And we're getting um, a lot of classic-feeling Ollie. You know, yeah, he, he's younger, but he, you know, he certainly feels like. Like the Ollie that we know and love. Right. Well, and I, and I got to say, uh, before we leave the subject of Black Canary, I love the way they draw her costume. Um, you know, she's back in the fishnets, but she's not wearing a leotard. You know, she's wearing like yeah. uh, like shorts with it. Um, and it just it looks like it makes sense for fighting. You know, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I love the way she's drawn. I really do. Uh, I, I really liked the way Oliver was depicted in the book. I like how he gives her, uh, Black Canary a tour of all the works that, that, he, that Oliver's uh, company is involved in around Seattle. Um, I, 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 just, I thought it was a really well-done book, and it really kind of leans hard on uh, Green Arrow's traditional liberal leanings. Mm-hmm. And what I found interesting is Black Canary kind of takes the more conservative view. Uh, and, and, you know, that was typically what you got between uh, Hal and Ollie back in the day. You know, Hal Jordan being the cop was more conservative and uh, Green Arrow uh, was was a lot more liberal. And so you're getting kind of that conversation between uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary now. I like that. I yeah. like that. I You know, it's 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 almost, uh, you know, reminds me of uh, of. Uh, Oh gosh, the, the 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 two political advisors from the Clinton and Bush campaign back in the day, uh, James Carville and Mary Madeline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so you know he's Green Arrow, she she's Black Canary, and you know there there's your very very challenging uh, casting for a Green Arrow movie. <laughs> <laughs> J 
James Carville and Mary Madeline. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I thought this was a good book, and I'm in for number two. And thank you, Paul, for the recommendation, because Paul's like, you're going to get Green Arrow? And I'm like, nah, I'm going to wait for your review. And Because I, I, I have been hurt enough, and uh, I, I loves me some traditional Green Arrow, and it's nice to see them kind of leaning back that direction. Certainly a lot of new elements, but I like the I, they're, they're picking up the things that I like about the character. Yeah, I, I really i am glad I picked it up. And, and I, I was going to anyway, because I like I said, I always give – green arrow a shot whenever they try to reboot him um but it just it felt right this green arrow um it felt like a green arrow that i haven't seen in a number of years at least since the new 52 yep so good books from dc green lanterns green arrow scooby apocalypse really great and then (laughs) this goddamn dark knight rises book there was no way i was buying it when i saw the price well, in all fairness, it's a big book. It is. I mean, it, it is 67 pages. Um, so the I have a hard time defending the price, but at least it makes sense, right? I, have, I, I would uh, defend the price. Here's the thing. Volume-wise, you get your money's worth. Mm-hmm. Quality of the book? <laughs> i got to tell you, you know, I hated this fucking book. So tell me, was it the writing? Was it the art? Was it both? It was both. Uh, actually, no, I didn't have a problem with the art. In this book, yeah. Surprisingly enough, nor did I. And this and this book is illustrated by uh, John Romita Jr., with whom I've had issues uh, over the last several years. There were there were some choices he made that I disagree with. Um, in particular, I don't think that he sells a middle aging Batman well. You know, we're we're we're, we're picking up a story of Batman. Uh, after the peak of his career, right? You know, we're picking up a Batman who is a little too old for the job. He's not recovering as quickly as he as he once did. He's distracted. He's struggling with a with a midlife crisis. So he should not look like he's thirty years old, yes. right? And he looks like he's thirty years old in this book. And they, I think we can all agree that there are two appropriate hair colors for Bruce Wayne. It is either black or it's gray. Yeah. And there are moments in this book where his hair almost looks blonde. And uh, that bugged the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, because he didn't look like Bruce Wayne. You know, he, you, you've got, I mean, Bruce Wayne is ever bit as iconic as Batman in his appearance, but yet there are moments where, and it's the, it's the color choices on the panel. Yeah. Uh, that it just it doesn't ma- it doesn't sell his age, whereas other other things, I love very much that Romita stuck with the Dark Knight Returns depiction of the Joker. The Joker that we see here in Arkham looks very much like the Joker we see in Arkham in Dark Knight Returns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think Romita's style leans itself to following up to those Frank Miller books. Yes. But that said, you've got Frank Miller writing with Brian Azzarello in this story, and sadly I think it's more Miller than Azzarello because it's filled with a whole bunch of Frank Miller's bullshit. Uh, I I hated the writing on this book. Hated yeah. the writing on this book. Um, so, Paul, I, I have, I have uh, blethered on quite a bit. Talk to us about it. So, you know, they've promoted this book as this is the story of Jason Todd's death and how the Joker had a hand in that and blah, 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 blah. But it's 
really not. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, they, they spend the majority of the book with this killer croc poison ivy story that has – I, I felt cheated. It was a waste of time. Yeah. I felt cheated um, by this story, and I apologize for the phone ringing in the background. Um, is it is it Commissioner Gordon? It is Commissioner Gordon, but Commissioner Gordon can phone? wait. <laughs> is that the Paul phone? It actually does kind of look like the Bath phone. <laughs> You know, my first job, I had uh, stickers on the phone of the bat symbol, and everyone referred to it as the bat phone. Uh, we're, we're quiet because it's not cool, Wayne. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I never claimed to be cool. Far from it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a red phone. It looks like the bat phone. Um so this book, you know, I, I, I felt cheated. I felt like they it was not as advertised. Um, I feel like it just ends without any sort of real resolution to the story that they advertised. Like, mm-hmm. this is the story of Jason Todd and the Joker. Well, not really. And uh, in fact, not, not only not really, not at all. So is there another issue coming? No. This was it? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Huh. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, reading it, I was like, wow, they're going to spend a whole other issue of, of Joker killing Jason Todd. But this was it, huh? This this was it, yeah. Uh, this this was the story that that they, they, they wanted to tell. Wow, that's some bullshit. Yeah, because even more so, terrible book. And it's the writing. I mean, I, I, I really, I really kind of dig the artwork here. Um, yeah. I, I think John Romita Jr. did did a really an admirable job illustrating this book, with the exception of of the, of the, of the notes that I that I shared. Yeah. But uh, I, I wow, <laughs> wow. And it, what what blows my mind is that nobody's looking at this stuff, going, "Hey, let's take a moment. <laughs> we're we're advertising this as one thing, and we're spending a page on that, literally. Yeah. Right. A page on that." With no, and of course, you know, you know what Batman's reaction is. Uh, you know, we see his reaction in the original Dark Knight Returns, but that's a reaction that's what 15, 20 years removed. Yeah. So you don't see the immediacy of it. You don't see him retire. I mean, wow. Yeah. No, this is this is terrible. Yeah, it, it is, is a terrible. terrible, terrible book. At least as far as the writing and the story are concerned. Yeah. This yeah. adds nothing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So Paul, what's going on with the with the Dark Knight book that that Frank Miller's doing? Because it seems like it's been forever. Yeah, it's delays, and I don't know if it's as a result of the art or the story or what. But yeah, we're seeing uh, you know the, that that book just it, it, they can't get it out on time, um, which is a shame because it, it's lost yeah. a lot of momentum. Yeah, well that's too bad because let me tell you the, a book that's picking up some momentum right out of the gate: Batman Rebirth number one. All right, talk to me about it. Tom King, David Finch. Yeah, um, we get to see, uh, you know, Batman being out there, uh, you know, saving a plane from crashing, which you know you wouldn't think. What, what the hell's Batman going to do about that? Well, he's going to ride it like a like a cowboy. <laughs> um, a plane falls out of the sky, you know, having been uh, having had its uh, tail blown off, and Batman, you know, it has got to do something about it because it's going to crash right in the middle of Gotham City and kill everyone. And so he races out there in his Batmobile, you know, talking to Duke, 
who coaches him into the perfect angle for him to jettison his uh, his bat seat, launch himself up into the air to get up onto the airplane and take the the jets that he has taken from the Batmobile and attach them to the plane so that he can steer it, um, which is all highly ridiculous, right? I mean, very much highly, so. yeah, yeah, but Hi- fun, highly. Oh yeah, fun is all get out and drawn beautifully and. You know, there's just something so cool about Batman standing on the back of it. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, of uh, uh, the Dune movie from the 80s where they're riding the worm. <laughs> That's kind of what Batman's doing, you know, guiding this plane uh, uh, through through the skyscrapers and having to you know flip the, the plane on its side so that you know they can they can you know make it through uh, between. And after all this work. After all this work, as he's about to put it down, and you know, Alfred's saying, "Well, you know, you've you've protected everybody on the plane, you've protected the citizens of Gotham, but you know, you can't walk away from this. You know, the momentum is you're going to hit in such a fashion that you'll be dead." And so, I mean, Batman's like, "Okay, well, you know, here's where I, here's here's the key to the liquor cabinet. Um, you know, here is my last will and testament. You know, be sure and pay the bills, yada yada." And so he's making all of his final arrangements, and at the last damn moment. You see two figures come up under the plane and fly it up away from the water before you know impact, thus uh, <laughs> saving everybody on the plane and Batman at the same time. And you know it's drawn. The figures are so small. You're like, oh well, you know that's got to be you know Superman and perhaps that Supergirl. But no, they're the new heroes in town. Uh, the fellow's called Gotham, and she's Gotham Girl. Yeah. And they tell they tell Batman, "This is our city. We're here to save it." So, uh, I it was uh, I, I gotta tell you, I, I really dug this book. I mean, Batman saving the airplane was just as 1970s comic book ridiculous as it could possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a shit ton of fun. I love his reaction when the plane uh, doesn't hit the water. The first thing he yeah, thinks, yeah. Clark. Right. Well, so can so there's one. I like this book except for this that one scene because where, Clark isn't Clark anymore. No, it's <laughs> it's right before that scene where Batman is talking to Alfred and he's like, "Would mother and father have been proud? Is this a good death?" And I'm like, I don't know that we needed that in issue one. Like that, that just felt a little hokey to me. Like, ah, oh, come on, come on. Yeah. Like I you're riding a fucking a plane into the, the water. Top. Is this a good death, Alfred? Yes, Master Bruce. They would have been proud. As proud as I am. As proud as I've always been. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, I would rather have had no words on those panels than those words. That just felt over, overdone to me. I, I thought that was a bit over the top, too. I, well, I think the whole book is over the top. In a good way, though. I mean, I I, I dug it. It, 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 it. I understand exactly what you're saying, Paul. Uh but it was a whole lot of mustard on this one, mm-hmm. and I liked all the mustard. Okay, I did. I, you know, I, I just remember like, are you kidding me? This is how he's going to save the plane. <laughs> I kind of had that reaction when the New Fifty Two started. The very first Flash arc, Flash saves a plane by getting on it and vibrating it so it can uh, travel through the bridge and land in the water. Well, that's just physics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had that same over-the-top, really, moment that I did here. Right. So, I, I, other than that one scene, I actually really enjoyed Batman number one, and I'll pick up Batman number two. Yeah, no, I dug it. And, and I'm, 
I'm very curious about uh, these two characters. You know, we had talked about in a previous episode that perhaps the characters of Gotham and Gotham Girl are, uh, you know, Owlman. Owlman from Watch from Watchmen? Yeah. And, and, uh, no, uh, uh, Night Owl. Night Owl. Night Owl. I know it didn't sound right. Night Owl and uh, Silk Spectre. But, of course, Night Owl and Silk Spectre don't have any powers, and these two people are flying, but, of course, perhaps our good friend Dr. Manhattan has changed him up a bit. So uh, I'm very curious about this. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not them. I want it to be something else entirely. I would like for the whole Dr. Manhattan thing to be I don't want to see everyone teaming up with him from Watchmen well I gotta tell you I, I really I truly do believe that Tim is right on that uh, the comedian is the one that just beat the living tar out of Asriel I, I think that makes so much sense I think it would be awesome yep yep so um, I, I, I dug Batman issue one I you know the the only rebirth book that I've found so far that I haven't cared for was the Titans book okay so DC is doing a doing a fantastic job, just doing a fantastic job with these rebirth books. So Paul, what's coming out next week on, on in the rebirth books? Tell me what else I'm spending some money. <laughs> well, next week we have new issues of Action Comics, Aquaman, um, Detective Comics, The Flash, Justice League number fifty two. So we're still talking pre rebirth. I think they're just finishing out the run there. And the first issue of Wonder Woman are all coming out from DC Comics. From Marvel Comics, we have um, the first issue of their Force Awakens adaptation. I'm kind of surprised that it's coming out this late in the game, but you know, I don't. Uh, maybe they just didn't have an opportunity to do it before the movie because of secrecy or something like that. But we are getting um, we're getting a Force Awakens adaptation starting next week from Marvel Comics. But you know, tons of good stuff coming out next week from DC. Really looking forward to some of those new books. Very good, very good. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week. Another another exciting episode of Funny Books with Aaron Polly and that guy Wayne. Yeah, uh, now I need to go find another mortal enemy to get a selfie with. <laughs> we have plenty. You're, you're a terrible, terrible person, Wayne. And that's why we love you. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.